Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. And now, here's our pastor, Cornelius Phillips, with today's message. Amen. Amen. All right, if you will stand, those of you that are not standing, if you'll stand with us, take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, wasn't this worship team awesome this morning? Somebody's been praying. Somebody's been asking the Father about the direction for the service, and we appreciate that. We don't take that for granted. Amen. That's a big deal. And we, we appreciate our worship team. I love to be in a place where every aspect of the service, Sarah got up this morning and just took the house down with her, her prayer opening the service. And, and man, it's just, just love to see how God works and, and he just brings things together and people together. Brother Ronnie obeying the Lord this morning with the gifts of the Spirit and, and it's just amazing to see how God works. Amen? Amen. If you don't know what you got, I challenge you to visit other places and you'll see what you got. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to talk to you this morning on, on a word that that is I told you last week we're going to be talking about things leading up to uh, the crucifixion of Christ and today I want to we're going to talk about the betrayal of Christ the betrayal of Jesus by Judas and uh, I had another direction that I was going to go with this message and I, I wanted I thought that it was a message that was going to be uh, in the direction of, of how many of you have been betrayed before? Come on, have you, have you been betrayed before? Have you had people betray you? People that, that you thought were friends, that you thought were close? Maybe you've had a husband or a wife that has betrayed your trust. And that's a big thing and it's, it's just a terrible pain. And, but betrayal can only happen by someone that is close to you. If they're not close to you, uh, it's not really betrayal. But, but when somebody is close to you and that you put your trust in and you believed in and you've confided in, when they betray you, when they turn around and walk away from you, that is betrayal in its truest form. And so I was going to talk about that. But Holy Spirit said, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to talk about the life of Judas. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 46 will pick up kind of in the middle of the story. Last week we talked about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we talked about how that he prayed and he uh, submitted, he battled in the Spirit and submitted his will to the authority of the Father's will. Jesus said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. If it's your will, let this cup pass from me. In other words, Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way that we can do that, then let this pass and, and I'll do whatever. But, but if nevertheless, if there's no other way, then Father, not my will, but yours be done. 
There's a, there's, a, there's a breakthrough in your life that will happen when you surrender your will to the authority of the Father's will. Jesus did that, and he went from there to the cross. But there was one that was there in the garden that night that had never submitted his will to the authority of the Father and his name is Judas. Judas is known as the betrayer. <clears throat> Peter was known as the rock. Thomas was known as the doubter. James and John were known as the sons of thunder. Luke was known as the physician. Matthew was known as the tax collector. Many of the disciples were known by noble things, but Judas, Judas was known as a thief and as a betrayer. But I want us to examine some aspects of his life because I, listen, guys, it is so easy to follow the path of Judas. And I think we don't realize that, but hopefully through this today we will. Matthew 26 and verse 46 Jesus is in the garden. He's come back to his disciples uh, after praying. And, and he sees them. They're asleep. And he looks at them and says, okay, guys, uh, you, you slept uh, and all that. But the time has come. And he looks at them and he says, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas... One of the twelve came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayeth him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see today. Father, as we come uh, closer to the season that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, Father, help us today to prepare ourselves for that season in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take your seat. <clears throat> the betrayal of Christ. Notice what Jesus said when Judas had come and, and uh, given that kiss of betrayal. That, that, that kiss, uh, and, and it, was, it, was, it was not just a, a normal greeting kiss. But it was a sign that Judas had agreed with uh, his conspirators uh, that this would be a sign. And when you see me kiss uh, him, you know that this is the one that, that you need to uh, seize and take and hold fast. But Jesus looked at him and he said, friend. He said, friend, why are you come? Can you imagine probably what went into Judas's heart when Jesus looked at him and said, I'm 
calling you friend. And I believe the reason that Jesus called him friend was to let us know that it is friends that will betray us sometimes. But as we're going to see uh, at the end of this story, uh, I want you to understand today, if you are a victim of betrayal, and, and you are here this morning and you've been betrayed. Somebody has betrayed your trust. Somebody has, has betrayed you. They've rejected you and, and they have hurt you and wounded you deeply. I want you to understand this morning that what Jesus went through, he went through it so that you and I could be healed and restored from what we go through. And I want you to understand this also, that what Jesus went through through his betrayal, it didn't stop his purpose, it led him to his purpose. And perhaps today, the pain and the struggle that you are suffering because of betrayal, you said it has wounded me and I can't get past it, but I'm telling you right now that you can get past it. And God is saying that's not meant to be the end of your story. That is just meant to be a new chapter in the book of your life. That God is saying, I want to do something greater. And if you hadn't experienced the betrayal, you would never know my glory and how that I can restore and renew your life. That wasn't my message. I'm just sharing that with you. Listen to Psalm 41, verse 9. David, a thousand, right at a thousand years before this night in the Garden of Gethsemane, David wrote, and he said this, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. David was prophesying of that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas would come and give that kiss of betrayal on the cheek of the master and betray him over a thousand years before it ever took place. And as if that's not enough, listen, I want to tell you, God's word will come to pass. And God will, God will confirm his word through his prophets. Zechariah in the book of Zechariah, one of the minor prophets in Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 12 took it a step further. He said, uh, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. You know the story. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And after he realized what he had done, he went back to the chief priest and, and uh, was trying uh, to, to take it back. And, and they said, we don't want that money. And Judas threw it down on the floor in the house of the Lord, just as Zechariah, 500 years prior to this night in Gethsemane, Zechariah had prophesied specifically and directly about 30 pieces of silver and that it would be thrown down on the, on the floor of the temple of God and that they would take that money and buy a potter's field. And that's exactly, exactly what happened uh, on that night when Judas realized what he had done. God had said, this is what's going to happen. Now listen, I'm, I'm telling you that, ladies and gentlemen, to tell you this, that God's word will come to pass. You can stand 
on God's word. It will be fulfilled. Every jot, every tittle of it will be fulfilled. If God said this, that sin uh, has a day of judgment, then rest assured that sin has a day of judgment. If he said this, that the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then rest assured those of us that know him are going to rise up out of the ground. If God said, I love you, then rest assured he loves you unconditionally. If Jesus Jesus said, I'm coming back again in the light manner that I went. You're going to see me come. Then rest assured, friend, that Jesus is coming. You can just stand on your back porch and gaze toward the eastern sky because it's going to happen. It will happen, friend. The word of God is sure. That wasn't my message either, but I'm just sharing. Listen, Judas shows to us the dangers of being religious and lost at the same time. And I'm going to get down, I'm just going to get down into where you live, okay? Because my responsibility as a pastor, I love to make you feel good, and I love to see you up dancing and enjoying the presence of the Lord. But friend, I want, I want to make sure that you have a true relationship with Christ. So Judas is a, is a blaring example to us of the dangers that we can be religious but lost at the same time. Judas' uh, uh, life and his death should be a flashing red light and a blaring siren screaming at us and, and uh, blaring at us, warning us uh, of the results of knowing about Jesus, but never knowing Jesus. All right? There's a big difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. I know many of you, I know about many of you, but I don't know all of you. All right? And, there, and there's a huge difference there when it comes to a relationship with Christ uh, because religion will tell you about Jesus and religion will, will say, I know about him, but listen, true relationship says, I know him. All right? I know about Donald Trump. I know about others, but I don't know them personally. All right? So it's important that we recognize in Judas' life because Judas followed Jesus. Judas was there when, when Jesus stopped the funeral possession and raised the, the widow's son back to life. Judas was there when, when uh, Bartimaeus uh, cried out to him by the roadside begging to be healed. Judas was there when Jesus uh, laid hands on him and his, and his sight came back. Judas was there. Judas was there when he preached this, the, the, the famous Sermon on the Mount and he talked about uh, all the blessings, the Beatitudes and all that. Judas was there. But yet in all of that and all the things that Judas was there and all the words that Judas heard, those words never got into Judas's heart that it caused a change in Judas's heart. And here's the thing, guys. 
that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he will change your life. You will never be the same again when Jesus comes into your life. I once was a sinner, but I refuse today to refer to myself as a sinner saved by grace. Why? Because when Jesus came, he took the sinning out of my life. It doesn't mean that I might not mess up every once in a while, but it does mean that I am going to strive, I am going to pursue him, I am going to do my best to please him and to love him. I want you to get this this morning that you can be close to somebody but not know that individual. You can be close to Jesus but not know Jesus. And I, and I want to I wanna tell you, friend, this morning, if there's not been life change in you, if you don't have a passion for Jesus, if you don't have a heart for God, if you don't have a love for others, if you don't have a desire to see the kingdom of God come and his will be done, friend, then ask yourself this question. Perhaps I have been close to him, but I have never met him personally. Listen, we can see in Scripture where not only did did Judas not know Jesus, but we can also see that he never repented of his sin. I've had people ask me the question before, Pastor, uh, was Judas saved? Did Judas uh, get things right? And and we're going to see through Scripture today that no, Judas never made it right. Listen, let me give you some things this morning. In John chapter 6, the Bible says that Jesus uh, was talking there and he referred to himself as the bread of life. And when Jesus talked about himself being the bread of life, he talked about unless, uh, unless you eat of this bread, you cannot be mine. When he said those words, the Bible says in John chapter 6 uh, that many of his disciples walked away from him because that saying was too hard for them. And, and when Jesus said that, uh, even including Judas, Judas, uh, Jesus made a reference to one that was going to betray him, one that would believe not that was going to betray him, and he was referring in that chapter to Judas because Jesus knew that Judas refused to accept the fact that he was the bread of life. Listen, I believe that what happened is that, that many of them looked and said this this saying is too hard. I, I, I can't grasp it. I can't understand it. It sounds crazy. It sounds fanatical and all of that. So they refused to accept the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread of life and you've got to eat of my body uh, in order to be mine. And, and they had this religious idea, this religious spirit that that's crazy and that's not for me. And they walked away and Judas was one of them that refused to accept the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. John chapter 12, we see another instance of Mary Magdalene, uh, I believe, that anointed the feet of Jesus. Uh, When Jesus was in the room and Mary came in and she broke the alabaster box and she uh, rubbed the oil 
on the feet of Jesus and anointed Jesus uh, with the oil. And, and the Bible says that when she broke that box, that the odor of that ointment filled the house. It was a beautiful picture of worship. Uh, of the purest form but yet Judas was standing there and because Judas was a thief he looked and he, he made this statement and I'm just paraphrasing he said what a waste this is why couldn't we have taken uh, the money uh, and uh, taken this ointment and sold it and, and, and used the money to give to the poor Listen to what Judas in his religious mindset said was a waste. Jesus looked at it and said it's worship in the purest form. Listen, you've got to be careful and I want to ask you this morning because I, I want to stay in line with what Holy Spirit has asked me to, uh, to do today. I, I, I want to ask you this morning do, when you see pure worship, when you see people lost in the presence of God and lost in their worship to God, do you look at it and say, "That's we don't need all that? Do you look at it and say, that's a little bit over the top, we don't need all that, we can do without all that? Listen, I want to ask you something this morning because religion will tell you that worship is fanatical. Religion will tell you that lifting of the hands is crazy. Religion will tell you that weeping and crying and, and, and worshiping in the house of God is crazy and it's not called for. Religion will tell you that, but friend, I want you to know this morning that heaven is looking at your worship and saying, I adore that. God is looking at my worship this morning and saying, worship me because I am the only true God. I am the one that gave my life for you. Listen, Jesus recognized that Mary was doing that for his death, but Judas didn't have a clue of what was going on. So can I ask you this morning, does worship bother you? Does it bother you? Does it irritate you? Does it make you uncomfortable? I know this is, this is hard, but listen. I'm just telling you the truth. Listen, does people, when they get a little bit excited about Jesus, maybe when you look over and see Sister Sarah get, get caught up, Miss Sarah, Sarah said, I ain't studying nobody else when Jesus is. But some, it makes you uncomfortable. Some, some it, it causes you to get nervous because you don't, you don't see the need for all of that. Remember the story. Uh, of, of, of a church that uh, was one of those dignified churches but they had an elderly lady in the church that, that every time the church would sing Amazing Grace Granny would get up about middle ways in, in the uh, uh, 
seats and she would stand up and when they'd start singing when we've been there 10,000 years and, and all that, Granny would just start, she, she couldn't hold it back. She'd start dancing and, and she'd dance out to the end of the pew and she'd dance up and down the aisle and, and all that and so uh, she would do that every time. The pastor uh, talked to the mayor of the city and the mayor said, I'm coming to visit your church Sunday morning and the first person that the pastor thought about was, oh Lord, what are we gonna do about Granny? And, and so uh, he, he told the choir leader, he said, don't sing Amazing Grace Sunday. He said, the mayor's gonna be here and we don't want Granny to get stirred up. So the uh, song leader said, okay, we won't sing Amazing Grace. They got up that Sunday morning, the mayor was sitting on the front row and, and everything was real calm and quiet and the pastor was so happy because everything was going good and all that and, and, and the uh, worship leader got up and he said he said I want us to, to sing this morning oh victory in Jesus and, and, and so they started singing oh victory in Jesus and granny jumped up in the back and said amazing grace has brought me my victory and she began to dance and, and shout she shouted out in the middle of the aisle and she shouted down and the pastor was there with his head down I've been like that before I, I know what that feels like and, and she shouted down to the front she shouted across and, and he was wanting them to stop singing victory in Jesus and, and but granny had done got caught up in it and granny danced right in front of the mayor and all of a sudden the power of God hit granny and she fell out right in the lap of the mayor. <laughs> Pastor said my career's over in this town. I'm finished. After the service the mayor walked up to him and said Pastor I've never been in a service like this. He said, but I'll tell you one thing. If you had more like Granny, you would have an awesome church. You see, we need a move of God, friend. But religion will say, you need to keep it quiet. You need to keep it calm. But listen, I want you to know God inhabits the praises of his people. Listen. Jesus was the object of Mary's extravagant worship because she had been delivered by him. People who have been delivered by God, people who have had the touch of God on their life that have set them free. That's the reason I will never, unless it is, un unless it is extreme, I will never set anybody down that I know that God has delivered them. Because when God delivers and God sets free something in here erupts Mary had been delivered that's the reason that her worship was extravagant Judas had never been delivered that's the reason he couldn't understand why such worship are you understanding what I'm saying and then the ultimate was when Judas conspired with the chief priest in Matthew 26 and 14 that uh, out of the chapter that we just read and uh, concerning the 30 pieces of silver. Listen, the life of Judas was one that was spent in the right place but never made the right decision. He was in church. Think about this. He was in church for approximately three years walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, sleeping in the same uh, place with Jesus, watching Jesus minister, but yet it never 
got into his heart. Listen, God is about heart change, ladies and gentlemen. God is about heart change. And if God doesn't get into your heart and change your life, then perhaps you need to reevaluate your relationship with God. Listen, there are things that, that we go through and there are sins that we struggle with and there are uh, temptations that we fall into, but there's always something there for a child of God. There's something there when I fail and I fall into temptation. When I commit a sin, there's something there. Holy Spirit grips my heart and says you messed up and you need to come back. There's something there that always pulls us back and that's Holy Spirit. Judas never had that. So I'm going to give you four things this morning to consider. And, and I'll be finished. I want you to consider this. Judas was a thief. And he was consumed with greed. All the while following the master. His thirst for money. And his greed for wealth overrode everything that Jesus did in the three years of his ministry. In the book of Mark, chapter 8 and verse 36, Mark said this, for what, or Jesus said this, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What Judas was pursuing was just a temporary thing. What Jesus was talking about was an eternal thing. Second thing, Judas was consumed by deception. Judas was consumed by deception. Listen, we might fool others. You might fool those that are closest to you. And if you talk to yourself long enough, you might even fool yourself. But I want you to know that you'll never fool God because God knows. You might tell your wife or husband and you might fool them and you might uh, be able to get past them and they might never know. But I want you to know this morning that God knows. God knows. God saw you this morning when you woke up. God saw what was on your mind this morning when your eyes opened up. He knows right now what you're thinking. What's that, Lord? Oh, somebody. I heard, I heard that. Listen, God knows. He knows, all right? You can't hide it from God. You can't put enough makeup on to conceal yourself. You can't put enough clothes on to conceal what's going on in your heart. God already knows. Judas was consumed by deception. Listen, no one ever chooses deception. Nobody ever got up in the morning and said, today, I think I'm going to be deceived. I can assure you that Adam and Eve didn't wake up on that beautiful sunny morning. And, and Eve didn't look at Adam and say, baby, I, I think I'm going to go into the garden today and pick some fruit. And, and oh, by the way, I just want to tell you, I think I'm going to be deceived today. It didn't happen. Listen, that is the whole uh, aspect of deception is deception comes in unaware. Judas was consumed by deception. But here's the thing, guys. 
we need an examination of ourselves. This is where Judas failed. Judas never questioned the motives of his heart. He never did what Psalm 26 and verse 2 says that David said, examine me, O Lord, and prove me or try me, test my reins or my mind and my heart. Judas never looked and, and said, Father, I want you to test me. I want, you, I, want you to, I want to pass this through you and I want you to tell me what my life is like. One of the greatest things that we'll ever do is stand before God and say, God, search my heart. God, look at my mind. God, tell me, are the things that I'm thinking right now, are they good or do I need to discard them? God, check my motives. God, what are my true motives, Lord? Listen, it's important to do that, guys, because if you're not careful, you will ease off into deception and the enemy will have you going down the same trail that you got messed up on yesteryear. So it's extremely important that you take the time to stand before the x-ray machine of God and say, Lord, I want you to x-ray me. I want you to look inside of me and tell me, God, what you see. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 5, Paul said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you, unless you indeed fail to meet the test. So Paul said, examine yourself. Look at yourself. Ask yourself about your motives. Ask yourself about your thought life. Ask yourself the attitude. Is your attitude right or wrong? I know this is hard, guys. I love you, okay? But I believe God is preparing us for something. He's preparing us for something. And he says, I want you to understand that, that Judas was right there with me, but he never caught it. He never realized it. One of the saddest things that's going to be uh, for, for pastors and ministers and leaders is, is the day when Jesus comes back and we are standing in heaven and we look around for sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so and we realize they didn't make it. I don't want that to happen. Listen, examination, examination will always bring about transformation. And here's, I'm, I'm fixing to close. Transformation, remember the story of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15? Listen to this, it was in the hog pen where the prodigal son came to himself. Let me say that again. It was in the hog pen where the prodigal son came to himself. But it was at the father's house where he was restored. In other words, when he came to himself in the hog pen, he didn't call daddy and say, Daddy, I'm in the hog pen. Come on down here. Give me a ring and a robe and some shoes. No, he got out of the hog pen and went back to his father's house. It's the father's house, ladies and gentlemen, where restoration will take place in your life, not the hog pen. True repentance implies coming to a right mind. True repentance always will lead us to salvation. And salvation 
will always lead us to life change. Amen? Repentance will lead us to salvation and salvation will lead us to life change. I don't know about you, but if I had stayed where I was and called myself a Christian, I wouldn't waste my time on Sunday morning. I'd be out doing something outside. But Jesus changed my life. Salvation always will bring about life change. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says this, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. Let me explain this to you, and I promise you I'm landing the plane. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. You remember the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 when David sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet came to him, pointed his finger in his face and said, David, you're the man that you messed up. You messed up. The first words out of David's mouth to Nathan the prophet was this. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Why? Because David had a godly sorrow. David recognized that he had broken the heart of God. He realized that his sin was not uh, against everybody else, but it was against God. Remember Peter? When Peter was told by Jesus, you're going to betray me, Peter said, not so. The cock crowed, the rooster crowed, Peter recognized the word that Jesus had given him. The Bible says that when that happened, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Why? Because he, he recognized a godly sorrow. He had a godly sorrow for what happened. Paul said, godly sorrow work is, works repentance unto salvation. But it, and then he said, but worldly, sorrow of the world works death. And I want to give you another example there because I want you to understand this. Guys, I battle with this all week. And, and God is saying, listen, I want people to get ready. I want people to get ready. I don't want them to be deceived. What is godly, godly sorrow will bring about repentance? What is worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow, sorrow is this, that I'm not sorry for my sin, but I'm sorry for the pain that my sin is causing me. All right? When people have worldly sorrow that says I'm not sorry for my sin, but I'm sorry for the pain or the consequences that it's causing, then when they have that, no sooner than the tears of their pain are dried up, then they go right back to what caused them the pain to start with. Let me give you a revelation on that. Someone that's having trouble in their marriage, their marriage is on the verge of divorce and breakup. For example, the wife has said, I'm tired of your cheating ways. I'm tired of your lies. I'm tired of your deception. I'm tired of all this. I've done all I can do. I am, I am getting papers drawn up, and I'm leaving you, and I'm divorcing you. 
The husband walks in my office with tears running down his face and says, Pastor, I need some help. I'm losing my family. I'm losing my wife. I don't know what to do. I've, 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 I've messed up. I've cheated on her. I've lied to her. And now she's about to leave me. Pastor, what do I need to do? The words out of my mouth are, are this. I say, you need to turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and give him your life. Yes, Pastor, that's what I want to do. I pray with that individual, I talk to them, and God miraculously works around, and their marriage is brought back together. The wife comes back and says, look, I love you, and I want to see our marriage work. They come to church that Sunday morning, and everybody's happy and, and, and good and all that, and things are going good, and, and I'm, I'm excited because I say, well, God is working in that marriage. The next week, I don't see them. I call him on the phone. I try to get in touch with a guy and say, hey, I missed you Sunday, but he won't answer the phone. The next thing I know of, I'm on Facebook and I'm surfing Facebook or looking on Facebook and, 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 I, and I see him at a party somewhere blowing it out with his friends. A few months later, I hear uh, somebody says, did you know so-and-so are divorced? See, that's what happens when worldly sorrow takes place. The guy, and that was just an example. I'm not talking about anybody in here. But that was an example of the man that had messed up and because he was on the verge of losing his family, he was weeping and crying and he walked in and he said, I'm sorry uh, that I, my sins have caused this pain and I'm sorry for what the consequences that is costing me. And I'll say a few words and I'll say that I accept Jesus, but, but I'm not sorry to him for my sins. I just want my life back. I want my wife back. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen? You might walk out of here this morning and not like pastor, but you're going to know the truth because I'm, I'm going to tell you, worldly sorrow will lead you to the same results that Judas had. Listen, we see that same thing happen in Exodus chapter 9 and when the plagues were coming on Pharaoh in Egypt. Pharaoh looked at Moses, hail and thunder, and all of that was raining down on G Egypt. And Pharaoh looks at Moses and said, hey, uh, can you talk to your God and, and get him to stop this? I'll let you, you guys go. I, I've sinned. I'll let y'all go and, and just tell him to stop this thundering and hail and all of that. And, and Moses, to make a long story short, went out, lifted his hands up to God and, and prayed, and God stopped it immediately. But you know what? Pharaoh said, huh, it's over now. So I'm going to go back to being the thug I always was. See, guys, if the heart doesn't change, the hands will never change. So I want to ask you this morning, as we look at the life of Judas, Judas played around with God there's never been, think about this, there's never been a human being that was closer to heaven but was never changed than Judas. Never been. Never been an individual that was in as close proximity 
of deity and walked away unchanged than Judas. You can be religious and not be saved. You can talk about Jesus and not know him. You can be close to him and not be with him. Judas, after all that he did, the Bible says that he cast the 30 pieces of silver down before the, the chief priest and he went out and he hung himself, committed suicide. Listen, can I tell you this? I don't know why and I don't understand all the, the ins and outs about Judas, but I can tell you this, friend, that when you repent of your sins and turn your life over to Jesus Christ, he will change your life. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you've been with, he will change your life. Would you stand with me, please? I want you this morning, give me, give me just a couple minutes and I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to ask you to do this with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. This is just between you and God. If this morning, what we've talked about with Judas being close to God but not knowing God. Being religious but not born again. If that's you this morning, would you be honest with God and say, Pastor, that's me. I've been around God. I've been around church. But I've never had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up and write back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not even going to give you an invitation to come to the altar. But I just want you to be honest with God. And say yes pastor that's me. Thank you so much. But listen. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus said. If you call upon me. You will be saved. He told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. There's a born again experience, friend, that comes through repentance. Repentance is changing your mind about the way that you've been viewing things, about the way that you've been viewing God and giving him total control of your life. For those of you that, if you raised your hand this morning, I'm going to ask you today to think about that. Because it's not about coming in front of a church. It's about coming before God. Amen. Father, this morning, you see today, God, those that, some that raised their hand and there are others that, that wanted to or that needed to. But Father, I pray this morning, Father, today that, that we would tell the story of the life-changing power of God in our lives. Father, we've got family, we've got friends, we've got relatives that need the life-changing gospel in their life. So Father, today, help us, God, today to recognize what you want to do in our lives. Father, I thank you this morning. 
I thank you for those that are here today that have that true relationship with Christ. I thank you today, Father, that those that are here this morning that, are, that love to worship, love to serve, love to please you, Father, I bless them today. Now, Father, we give you praise and we honor you today. Now, Father, bless your people today as they leave here. Guide them, direct them, protect them today. In Jesus' name, amen.